Hi, I'm Elio Castroneves, four-time Indy 500 champion, and you're listening to F1 Weekly. There are fewer than 30 men in the world qualified to drive Formula One. A mere half dozen, perhaps, to win. At this moment, I'm inclined to think you're not one of them. Welcome to F1Weekly.com. My name is Clark Rogers. I'm the host of the program. I'll be joined by Nasser Hamid, my co-host. This is podcast number 1015, October 24th, 2023, Nasser. Thank you, sir. I say Max does a super tramp on the competition. Take the long way home. Lewis and Leclerc check into Heartbreak Hotel. Logan is the local hero. No more on zero. And we have a case of back home again in Indiana. We shall explain gladly. Back to you, Chief. Thank you, Nasser. On today's program, Max gets his 50th Grand Prix win. Merck and McLaren are closing the gap. But where's Perez? Sargent overtakes a car. And because of the disqualification of LCH and Leclerc, Sargent collects a point. And this is the first point an American driver has collected in 30 years. And don't forget, ladies and gentlemen, that this week we have a Super Duty interview. Not from the archives, this is fresh. And it's four-time Indy 500 winner. Yes, Elio Castroneves, hombre. Pretty exciting, so stay tuned for that. And I have to remind everybody that we need your contributions to keep this program up on the cloud. So please, click on the Support F1 Weekly tab. You know you want to. NAS, I know you're pumped up. Your, your boy, Sergeant, got a point. I'm telling you, it was one hell of a weekend, except for Fernando, of course, and Aston Martin. Nass, welcome to the studio. How you doing? I am very good, sir. Thank you for asking. How are things on the left coast? Pretty exciting, Nass. I mean, we were really disappointed with Aston Martin. I guess, finally, when they threw away the upgrades and just gave him a car, it did well, but it was too late. The weekend was shot. So I'm very disappointed with Aston Martin. This whole turmoil thing, I don't know what's going on over there, but I know one guy that's going to be frustrated and he'll probably just leap and go to another new team very shortly. Great race, great weekend. You can't ask for more, Nasser. Very true, sir. And last week, my spirit was high in the air and I landed in the racing capital of the world on Thursday afternoon. The Junior IndyCar Series were testing. It was a little chilly for my taste, but I had a great time, met some very interesting racing people, and did some interviews and more on this uh, later. And so we have at least six interviews done, so hopefully we're pretty much covered for any interviews each episode for the rest of the season. And there are some other in the works that will happen through the wonders of Skype. We like to talk a little bit about Formula One now. No matter what they do, the prancing horse cannot pounce on the Red Bull. The silver arrows cannot reach the target. And Sergio Perez, his career is now in the Florida Everglades. Just cannot go fast forward. What is happening here, Mr. Rogers, is a flashing yellow lights for all Red Bull juniors. And there are quite a few in the pipeline. Be careful what you wish for, just might come true. And you may find yourself behind the wheel of a large and fast automobile. Then you look at the other side of the garage, and the other car has M-A-X on it. He goes zoom zoom, and your career goes doom doom doom. 
the party will be over before it starts. The U.S. Grand Prix at Circuit of the Americas provided a very exciting race. You and I played a little Pedro shortly before the race, and my text prediction was Max, LCH, and Leclerc without walking the plank. But this time, it was no walk in MacArthur Park for Max. But sir, before doing a deep dive into the race, let's do a quickie on Collie, unless you want to say something. I could say hi to Pedro. Exactly. Well, Collie, because of sprint race, Collie took place on Friday. The wonder of non-stop penalties saw Max lose his fastest time to start sixth on Sunday, which was of no concern to me, to be honest with you. That put the prancing horse on pole with Charles Leclerc ahead of Papaya rider Lando Norris. Row 2 was LCH and Carlito. Russell had the wonderful company of Max on row 3. Despite Now this is interesting. Despite Max's 5 place great penalty, his teammate Checo was another 3 places down the grid. And that's not very good. And returning from his hand injury at Sanford. Daniel Ricciardo qualified 15th. His teammate Yuki Sonoda was 11th on the grid. Your Dios Alonso was 17th and back of the bus was Logan Sargent. He has yet to outqualify his teammate Alex Albon this season, who was 18th on the grid at Kota. Sir, anything you liked or did not like uh, during the Friday qualifying session? Well, I don't like the Friday qualifying session. It's supposed to be on Saturday. I don't like the sprint thing. I'm not a big fan. And now I'm I'm hearing that they're going to revamp it again to add more excitement. But it doesn't seem to be improving ticket sales. Ticket sales were down for Coda. So I'm really confused. I really wish that somebody could see the vision that I see and go back to traditional Grand Prix Weekends with elegance and savoir-faire. There you go. On Saturday, we had the Texas shootout for the sprint race same afternoon. Max took care of business both in the shootout and winning the sprint race by 10 seconds over LCH, third sprint victory of the season for Red Bull rider. Leclerc was third. Now, I was going to ask you that, uh, you know, your thoughts on the sprint thingy, because some people are not fans of sprint races. Uh, Toto Wolf, now they're talking about reverse grade. I'm used to it, to these things by now, uh, but I also prefer tradition. But Mr. Rogers, we have to, you know, suck up to reality that change is going to happen. Just can't have the same thing forever. Is there anything you would like to have in terms of a sprint race change or what would be the format that you will you would like to see? I understand that change it has to happen. I, I understand that. I understand that now we have talking pictures when we used to have silent pictures. But if we could do it with a certain amount of class, I mean if we're to, if somebody brings in reverse grids, I guarantee Max is gonna say, I'm done here. This is for children, and I'm moving on to Le Mans 24 heures. Very well, very well. Okay, now the race. Dickens had tale of two cities. Dr. Marco has tale of two drivers. Sometimes in a top team, two drivers take turn winning pole positions in races. This season at Red Bull, we have one-way ticket to the Blues. Maybe Checo's spirits are flying on JetBlue. Obviously, he has not hit the delete button on his talent folder. He looked competitive and feisty against teammates such as Hulkenberg and Button. Against Max, his goose is cooked. Actually, looks like Max has done a foie gras on him and Dr. Marco may deliver coup de gras after the season is over. Max started sixth and did not look his usual rocket man in the first five laps, which is what I was expecting. He had moved up two places but was five seconds behind race leader Lando Norris. Ahead of him was his BFF, LCH, and Leclerc. Now, Mr. Rogers, early going, what were you thinking? How will this thing pan out for, will we have a first-time winner or will it be business as usual? McLaren has definitely found some pace. I mean, 
Let's not forget, a long time ago, Sergio Perez made a big mistake in Monaco. They had to lift the car, and Toto Wolff and Zach Brown both took more pictures that day than anybody in the world. All those pictures are finally been developed, and hence we have new floors on the Mercedes and the McLaren, giving them more pace. It's working. Copying does work. I'm just, uh, I don't know. I have to admit, though, they are catching up. And Red Bull, look, I thought Norris might be able to. But on the other hand, we are not running on Michelins. We're running on Pirellis. And I question these tires a lot. And I knew it was going to be a problem. I knew the dag was going to be high. And that was really going to play into Red Bull's hands because they have the speed. But the, the softs, the mediums, it's almost like a tire war within the tire company. Okay, by now Esteban Ocon was already out after receiving a New Jersey waterfront-style body slam from the other papaya car of Oscar Piastri. The Aussie mate would also retire from the race on lap 10. Lewis in second was three seconds behind Lando, who was desperately seeking win number one on his 100 Grand Prix star, which would have been very nice had it happened. Lap 11, Max moves past Leclerc into third, and this was a 56-lap race, so the writing was on the pit wall already. Now, at any stage of the race, did you think this could be another Singapore for Red Bull? It could have been. I, I mean, you could tell he was struggling with the tires, but also I think he was managing the tires. He was taking his time. It's a 56-lap race. There was really no hurry he knew he had this in the bag. The strategy was good. So uh, I think he was fairly comfortable and calm in winning this Grand Prix. Well, he's a very mature driver, not like the days we have seen in the Toro Rosso in the early days of Red Bull. So this is more and more troubling news for the competition. At this stage, top 10 were all on medium tires. On lap 17, when Max did the undercut, it was all the DNA evidence and FDA approval I needed that Lando's maiden win was chop-chop. That is the thing about the Red Bull package with one of their drivers. If they cannot beat you on the track, they will pull a trick in the pit lane and rain on your parade. Max put on another set of mediums while Lando changed to hard tires, leading pundits to predict McLaren will do one stop only. LCH was now leading the race. He must be wondering where have all the flowers and hybrid power gone. When he came in for tires on lap 21, he also did a Lando exchange to hard tires. Again, pundits were saying they will do a one-stop strategy. Did you think that they could pull off a one-stop strategy? I figured out that they were thinking about a one-stop strategy, but I realized those Pirelli horrors aren't going to last 40 laps or whatever laps were needed and I knew no way this is a two-stopper all day long. The pole man in a Ferrari Charles Leclerc took the lead for the first time. Most people would like to see Ferrari do well. I don't know what it is. Despite several management and top uh, top line driver changes they continue to provide Father Guido Sarducci humor and more on this later in the race. Lap 24, Leclerc made his pit stop for hard tires and that put Lando back in front, but only two seconds ahead of Max, which he know is never enough if there's more than five laps remaining. But here we had more than half the race remaining. And by now the sad reality was beginning to sink in for McLaren and Mercedes that hard tires may not go all the way with Max behind even though he had to stop again to run both compounds during the uh, race. Halfway through the race, lap 28 of 56, Max takes the lead and we all know what happens then. It's Dasvidania to all the drivers behind. His own teammate was solid fifth at this time, 10 seconds behind the Dutch master. I just hope Checo does not cut his ear in frustration. Max did complain about his brakes more than once, and to be honest with you, first when he complained, I thought he, him and the team were pulling a fast one on other teams, but it turns out there was an issue. 
One stop race to win race number one went out the door for Lando Norris when he came in again for a second set of hard tires on lap 35. Next lap, Max in to change to hard compound. LCH back on top on hard tires. Soon he was in also for medium tires. And Max was back in charge at the front. The Tex Texas shootout was set. Can LCH on medium catch Max on hard tires with less than 20 laps to go? We have seen this movie at Kota before with the same high-end performers. Lap 49, LCH takes second from Lando. Lando may have been a little naughty in his defense, but what was Mercedes' main man expecting when he was shaking his head? As someone once said in an Arabian nightmare for the team, Toto, it's called a motor race. Yes, indeed. This ain't no CBGB or Mother Teresa Compassion Clinic. Another Ferrari doozy dialogue with five laps to go. Leclerc wants to know why he had to let Carlito go by and wants to talk after the race. The only talk they need to do is on the track and for that they need more power from their prancing horse. In the end, LCH ran out of laps. It was close but no cigar. Max once again smokes the competition to take victory number 50 of his wonderful Formula 1 career. One more he will match Le Professor. Most likely he will not only match Prost on 51, but also the original Red Bull Wunderkind Sebastian Vettel on 53 wins by the end of the season. Now this, of course, late breaking news two hours after the race. The stewards got in top gear and the following is posted on um, Formula One website. So let me read this here. FIA technical delegate Joe Bauer and his team went through their standard post-race checks. One of those checks was a physical floor and a plankware inspection, which they chose to carry out on four cars, those of Hamilton, Leclerc and Verstappen, as well as the McLaren of Lando Norris. The plank, also known as the skid block, was a part introduced into Formula One in 1994 to ensure cars won't run too close to the ground. However, at 17.28 local time in Austin, a little under two hours after Hamilton and Leclerc had taken the checkered flag, Bauer noted in a message to the stewards that he'd found Hamilton and Leclerc's skid blocks to be not in compliance with the rules. Hamilton and Leclerc were duly disqualified from the United States Grand Prix. Now, that was the official ruling. I think race fans at the track and watching telly all over the world want to see races decided on race tracks and not in steward room or court room. But rules are rules and as long as they are applied consistently, there is no reason to play the crime game. I have a feeling the FIA rulebook now has more pages than the Encyclopedia Britannica. As Mr. Louis Ruikaiser used to say on his show Wall Street Week, read it and reap it. When all is said and done, cows have come home and pigs have flown to Potsdam, here is the official top 10 from the 2023 Formula 1 Lenovo United States Grand Prix Circuit of the Americas. Sir, before I do a top 10, uh, you have anything you want to add to how the race ended? What were your expectations? Are you happy? Are you satisfied? What more can we say about Alonso in this race? Exactly. I mean, Fernando, it was a bad day. Aston Martin certainly is going to be taking a few steps backwards. I don't know how this is going to affect 2024. But uh, for me, that was very disappointing. But on the other hand... Great race for Max, for Lewis. I thought he was competitive. And it was quite entertaining, even though it was somewhat of a, not an exciting race, but it is what it is. I enjoyed it. And I can't wait for Mexico. Exactly. Okay, sirs. Winner, Max Verstappen, Red Bull Honda. Win number 15 of the season and 50 of his career. Second, Lando Norris, McLaren Mercedes. He led more laps on Sunday, which was repeated on the broadcast again and again and again, than all other 2023 races combined. This is fourth consecutive podium finish for the boy from Bristol in England.
Here he is talking to Lawrence Barreto of F1 TV. Yeah, I mean, it was a tough race. Um, yeah, very tough race. We had just a lot of things thrown our way. I guess the, the, the incident in turn one, having to avoid Carlos. Uh, so I lost two or three positions. And then um, uh, the safety car as well. Uh, we boxed like two laps before, so then Fernando got to overcut us with the safety car. So just a lot of challenges. Um, and then coming back through, you know, it was a lot of fun. Tough. To, to get past so many cars and especially with the pressure of the you know the chance to get past Fernando with only a few laps to go I knew I had to time everything perfectly and get past when I did so it all went uh, very well um, a lot of fun just difficult you know it's very difficult to, to, to put in clean laps and uh, not make mistakes to, to make it all count so um, yeah fun and especially to race Fernando the last few laps like uh, it's tough was, uh, was very tough He's, he's a difficult competitor. He's the last guy I would want to be up against in the final few laps, but uh, he makes it you know, a lot of fun. I have respect. I, I have trust in him that uh, we can have a good race and we can fight uh, closely and, and so on. So, yeah, tough, but, uh, but fair and good points. So Third, Carlos Sainz Jr. Ferrari. Great finish for the only non-Red Bull race winner this season and after failing to start the previous round in Qatar. Fourth, Sergio Perez, Red Bull Honda. Hard to believe his teammate is having a hard time finishing anything but first. And here is Checo, totally dazed and confused. DQ for LCH may save his bacon at Red Bull in second place in the championship. His last podium was at Monza five races ago. Fifth, George Russell, Toto Wolff recently called GR the future of Mercedes. His only podium came in June in the Spanish Grand Prix. Sir, my take on the Mercedes package is this. If they get the car to be as competitive as the Red Bull, both Lewis and George are capable enough of taking the fight and beating Max. One of them has already proven a few times. But I think even then, the advantage will go to Max because George is not going to roll over and play dead for uh, Lewis. Okay, and of course, Lewis will not do the same. So, where they are going to take uh, points from each other, like Williams drivers did in 1986, and in the final race, Alain Prost became world champion from nowhere. So, we'll see how this thing works out. Sixth, Pierre Gasly, Alpine Renault. His only podium came in the Dutch Grand Prix. Seventh, Lance Troll, Aston Martin Mercedes. First points finish in last five races and only Aston Martin in the points. His teammate Machismo retired on lap 49. Eighth, Yuki Tsunoda, Alpha Tauri Honda. Yuki Tsunoda was feisty and spicy like Wasabi on the final lap and set the fastest lap of the race. This is first point finish in last six races for him. Tsunoda is now the third driver from the land of Godzilla and Toshiba to set the fastest lap in Formula 1. Ninth, Alexander Albon, Williams, Mercedes. Thanks to DQ for LCH and Leclerc, Albon is no longer the only point scorer for Williams. Which brings us, as you said, first American to score a point in 30 years in Formula 1. 10th place, Logan Sargent. One may be the loneliest number it could be career-saving for the young man from Boca Raton, Florida. Let's listen to what the man says. Hey, Logan, considering where you started, you must be pretty pleased with the amount of positions you made up in today's race. Yeah, I think it was a good race. Another really good start. Just made a mistake and hit the sausage curb in turn one and lost a few positions there. But um, other than that, really, really good race pace. A huge turnaround from yesterday for me and the team to get the car in a positive direction and also for myself uh, just drive drive better <laughs> um, pretty simple um, I think we did good at managing the tires held on to the end and um, it was a good race Alonso did not finish the race and was classified 16 his team has the same issue as Red Bull one driver missing in action proof is in the paella one driver has scored 183 points and the other has scored 53 points Mr. Rogers, here is a trivia for you. Remember one of our listeners used to submit trivia? The moon is shining in Montreal. Can you guess which Aston Martin driver has a Samsonite full of points and which one is carrying his points in a Toronto Blue Jays backpack? What say you? 
That's beautiful, Nasser. And those days, the trivia days were awesome. I remember that. That was very, very well done. But yes, the moon is in Montreal, as far as I'm concerned. And he's carrying a tiny little wallet with his points in it. Okay, my this was uh, my favorite part of the race came with the lemon laps to go. When, when Ferrari team suggested another new plan C to Charles Leclerc, and the poor guy said, that will ruin my race, like as if he was running and, you know, leading. You know, we are in late October. I am surprised Ferrari has not reached plan XYZ or XYZ by this stage. But normally these issues are with Leclerc, as Science Jr. seems to run his own show, flatly saying no to the team sometimes. What say you on the Ferrari communication and their situation? Well, it's Ferrari, it's classic. Uh, communication is clearly not easy for some, simpler for others. It is amusing, and they are they do have good pace. So we'll just keep our fingers crossed, throw a couple of Hail Marys. I call Guido every once in a while for some advice. Yes, sir. Okay, now we come to points to ponder. The 2023 season is not even over. Since the beginning of 2022 season, Max has won 30 races. That's three more than the total of Jackie Stewart's entire career. Max is leading the championship with 464 points, more than Sergio and Lewis total combined, and these youths are second and third. Sergio is now 39 points ahead of third place driver LCH. Hopefully, Checo can help Red Bull to their first ever 1-2 in the Drivers' Championship, but he cannot expect any help from his teammate. Now we come to the Century Club. Two drivers started their 100 Grand Prix race in Austin, Lando Norris and George Russell. Lando was also voted by the fans' driver of the day. Sir, anything you want to say on these two young people reaching 100 races and between the two they have one race win? Well, they're so young, we still look at them as rookies, but these guys are senior journeymen. They've been here for, what, six years now? So, yes, uh, amazing how quickly time flies. I'm sure they're having a great time counting those pennies in the piggy bank. Okay, now we move on to maiden wins in USFA. Quite a few drivers achieved their first Grand Prix success here in America. So we shall start with Bruce McLaren. 1959 Sebring, Florida. At the time, he became the youngest winner at age 22 of a Formula One Grand Prix. This record would stand for 40 years, for over 40 years, till a new track record was set in 2003 at the Hungarian Grand Prix. I can't seem to find the face in my mind of that race winner. Perhaps you can help me, Mr. Rogers. Young Hispanic male. Must be Fernando Alonso. El Mas Macho. There you go. Thank you. Okay, next. Innes, Ireland, 1961, Watkins Glen. This was the first Grand Prix win for both the driver and Lotus team. Few weeks after this historic win, Colin Chapman told the race winner at the London Motor Show held at Earl's Court, You will not be racing with us in 1962. Reason was simple. Chapman was more interested in another Scottish driver, and his name was Jim Clark. Next, Jochen Rindt, 1969, also at Watkins Glen. Pole position, fastest lap, and race victory in his Lotus made his manager very happy, and that bloke was Bernie Ecclestone. Emerson Fittipaldi took his first win in 1970, also at Watkins Glen. Another Lotus winner, and what a story this was at the time. In 1969, Emo arrived in England with no English. One year later, he had won his first Grand Prix, and in 1972 became the youngest world champion at the age of 25. And this record was broken in 2005 by a Renault Mild 7 driver, who was anything but mild in his temperament. And who could that be, Mr. Rogers? Yes, he's a, a fine, good-looking man from España. And he is El Mas Macho del Mundo. 
Next, François Sever, 1971, Watkins Glen. Triumph and tragedy at the same place in two years. In 1971, Sever took his first and only victory driving a Tyrrell. In 1973, he lost his life in a qualifying crash driving for the same team. Next, we have another winner, but on the left coast of the USA in 1980, Long Beach, California, Senor Nelson Piquet. Of course, senior. Maiden win from Paul N. with fastest lap for the Brazilian driver from Rio de Janeiro. He now lives in Brasilia, by the way. His Brabham team was owned by Bernie at the time. Nelson's first championship was also secured at another American street circuit, Las Vegas, 1981. And finally, we have Michele Alboreto, 1982, also in Las Vegas. The Italian driver, whose mother was from Libya, took his maiden win in the Caesars Palace Grand Prix, driving a Tyrrell. All right, Nasser, thank you for all that. And now that we've reached the 30-minute mark, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back after these brief messages. Hello, everyone. I am Jose Maria Lopez from Argentina. Congratulations to the Formula One Weekly on the 1000 podcast. Welcome back to F1Weekly.com. Clark Rogers here, your host. And now, as we spin the globe and go around the world with Motorsports Mondial and the king, the Swami himself... Nasser Hamid. And now, the special feature interview from Petit Le Mans, Road Atlanta, Nasser Hamid, and a conversation with Elio Castroneves. Okay, folks, I'm here with Spider-Man, Racing Man, Dancing Man, <laughs> one and only Mr. Elio Castroneves. How are you? Good to meet you. I'm very nice to meet you, and I'm doing very well. Thank you for asking me. Sure. Now, are you still friends with Mr. Amir Nasser? Oh, yeah, of course. Uh, Amir and the Philippe, uh, the whole Nasser family, is, uh, it's obviously been part of my career. So, yeah, I'm, I'm always uh, cherish their, their friendship and everything they did. Yeah. Question I have for you, they say in a song, first cut is the deepest, right? Okay, yeah, first so, cut is the deepest, yeah. So the question is, which one was the sweetest? Mambo number one, two, three, four, at the brickyard. <laughs> Look, if I ask you, if, or if I ask people that have multiple kids, which one you love most? It's hard to say, right? Because um, uh, you, each one is, has personalities and uh, each one has your own character. And it's the same thing with the Indianapolis 500. Uh, first one, you never forget. The second one, you, in a row, you're like, whoa, that really happened. The third one, the circumstance was amazing. And the last one with a different team and was absolutely incredible. So for me, yeah, they all very special. Now, I was at number four when you won the fourth one. Absolutely incredible. This is how I have a feeling. I've been following motor racing since 73, Formula One, IndyCar, sports car, everything. Last 10 laps in the 500, I have never seen such intensity anywhere. you agree? I totally agree. It was um, a very, I knew what I I had and uh, sort of knew what my competitor had. So it was absolutely um, uh, an incredible run. Uh, the entire team did a phenomenal job. But I have to say, all the all the the races that I lost, finished second at Indianapolis. The 21 was a big learning curve for, and, and that paid off for sure. Yeah. Okay. Now you are racing for. Um Mr. Hogan's team, small team, and if I remember correctly, you gave him them a pole position, first That's for right. Mercedes. Walker, yeah, yeah t- tell us a little bit about uh, working for a small team. Look, when you go into a team, um, obviously in that time I, I'm learning as well, there is a lot in the, in the game. Uh, they, they don't have as much data or resource like a big team back then, especially. And they rely a lot on the information of that, that driver. In my case, it wasn't me. But the team was, they don't need to have 300 people uh, in the shop. They don't need to have the best sponsor helps. Don't get me wrong, because you know racing is moved by great partners. But if you have a great group, uh, you're still going to succeed. And that's what happened to us back then. So when I moved to a, 
Maya Shank Racing was sort of like uh, remember those days. However, which much more experience and no question that is that is definitely helped. Now, tragedy at Fontana led you to um, Team Penske, and I understand you were walking to your rental car when a couple of guys approached from Penske. Uh, what was the first thing that went to your mind? And you remember your first meeting with Captain? Yeah, I mean, it was a, it was a sad day, obviously, when you lose a colleague. Um, and the whole thing for me, I, uh, Hogan Racing was shutting down. I was going back home. There was a lot. A lot mixed feelings. It was definitely a, a very dark uh, time uh, in, in my career, particularly that situation. And it was amazing uh, that when Roger and I talk, I couldn't believe it. I still feel sort of like, is it the right thing or not? And I remember some of the words. Look. I understand and I respect Roger said, but if it's not going to be you, it's going to be someone else. And that's when I realized we're in the sport. Um, I love the sport, and uh, you don't want anything to happen to anybody, including yourself. But if you got to do it, you got to continue moving on. And that's what a sort of words that I took it, and uh, and I was um, yeah, I was very uh, fortunate, which is unfortunate of someone, and end up being my entire career. Roger Penske, in and outside the track, absolute first-class operation, yeah. gentlemen. And to be successful, that successful, you have to be very good with people. How was your interaction with Roger Penske, and how would you uh, describe him as a team leader compared to other uh, team leaders? Well, Roger has this amazing um, feeling, and um, he contagious everyone with his work ethic. Uh, <laughs> but at the same time, people don't realize that he's passionate about racing. It's not always about work, but he's passionate about it. Yes, he wants to execute, but he wants everybody to work. And um, and he may he doesn't tell you what to do. He basically like you came here because I know you're good and do what you what you came here to do. So, however, if it does something goes off the ground, he kind of guides you to continue on the right path. And that's sort of a leadership, you know. He's letting everybody to work. He giving all the tools necessary for you to not only do your work, but do the best work as you can. And that's kind of a guy that you uh, you want to work for it. And uh, and I love it because. But when he gets upset, he gets upset like everybody else. He's a human being, but understandably, understandable because he is the one that's first in and first out. And um, yeah, I am very. For me, I felt that I became part of his family, not only Penske family, but his own family. But uh, over 20 years, yeah, for sure, it's been a journey. I have to ask you: Was he surprised, or did he say anything to you after you won the Indy 500 after leaving his team? I don't think he was surprised. I think he was. No, was I? Sort of like um, happy because it was his racetrack now. Second, that everything he basically put on me, even that he wasn't there this time. For me, he's, he was there, but anyway, in terms of uh, my team or the team, his team, I think he was like, what I did was a good thing. So um, we spoke afterwards, not in the, actually the day of the race because he was uh, wearing the promoter's hat. Not yeah. And uh, but right after, and we that was the one of the best conversation I have I had with Roger in over 20 years. So it was very nice, and uh, now we remain we remain even close friends. When you joined his team, did you ever ask uh, Rick Mears for any tips on oval racing? Oh yeah, he was my uh, mentor basically. He was my spotter, literally. And every time we're running, we're always um, yeah, I'm always asking him for advice. Great. Now, uh, before you left uh, Brazil, you went to Europe. In your junior racing career, apart from your family, were there people who helped you a lot uh, to get going in racing? Not really. My dad was the, basically the guy that um, uh, put uh, everything on the line, which I can't believe it. I guess I'm a father today. <laughs> I love my lo my daughter, but I don't know if I would do the same thing what he did to me. Um, it was incredible. Uh, so, no, he was the the sole purpose of um, what I am today in terms of became uh, what I became today. 
Okay, last question I have for you. You had a racing driver from your country with a yellow helmet. He won anything and everything. Uh, did you ever meet him? Do you, what, what's your memory of this gentleman? Yeah, we did have a race um, in his farm. Uh, he just gathered some few drivers, race go-kart drivers, and he won two championships back then. And for us, he was the idol. Um, he was uh, a guy that uh, every morning... Even that uh, he wasn't personally in our house, but he was through TV, basically uh, giving us the, the the joy of racing. And uh, yeah, he was the idol, so the, the mirror that every driver wants to be. And today, yes, my passion for racing, there is a lot because of him. Obrigado. Elio, thanks for joining F1Weekly.com. Nasser? And sir, we are going to come to a very important part of this uh, podcast, and this is what we call a special edition of Musical Matrimonial Mondial. Very happy to say over the weekend, one of our original members of the F1 Weekly Familia, a gentleman you have met, and I meet him regularly at races, and now a motor racing journalist extraordinaire, Mr. Christopher D. Hardy, got married in Indianapolis to his lady friend, Miss Sarah. Big congratulations to both, and we wish them a long, very happy married life. And here is a little musical dedication to the new couple with the express written consent of Mr. DeHardy. Hey, little girl, comb your hair, fix your makeup. Soon he will open the door Don't think because there's a ring on your finger You need to try anymore For wives should always be lovers too Run to his arms the moment he comes home to you Thank you, Jack Jones, and keep up the good work, Chris. Next, we talk about F1 Academy, the new ladies' series, promoted by Formula One. The season finale took place in Austin. We have the first ever F1 Academy champion. Please say hola and congrats to Senorita Marta Garcia from Viva España. She took the championship in style by winning race one of the weekend. Second race of the weekend was won by Hamda Al-Khobesi of UAE. Her sister Amna also raced in the series this season. Final race of the season was won by English girl Jessica Edgar. Mrs. Susie Wolf, who is in charge of this series, expressed her disappointment that only Lewis shows up to support and meet the lady drivers. This time George Russell was also present. Like Formula 2, if you win the championship in Formula 1 Academy, you cannot stay in the series. And I think, and I'm pretty sure, all the ladies, uh, they don't have to bring any money. Now we go to Australian MotoGP from Phillip Island. French rider, your homeboy, Johan Zarco, took his first win after 102 attempts by taking the lead on the final lap from his teammate Jorge Martin. Paco Bagnaia was second, Martin was relegated to fifth, and all of this action happened on the final lap. Paco leads the championship with 366 points. Jorge Martin is second on 339. Italian Marco Bezzecchi completes top three on 293 points. All are on Ducati. Four races remain on the schedule. Next is Thailand Grand Prix, followed by Malaysia, Qatar, and season finale will be in Valencia, as is normally the case on November 26th. Next, we borrow a line from Mrs. Ms. Tina Turner. Deutschmarks are dollars, American Express will do nicely. Formula One has announced that American Express will become their official payment partner in the Americas starting from the Las Vegas Grand Prix. Yes, they like to advertise membership has privileges like pre-sale access to race tickets. Speaking of privileges, IndyCar Racing is really showing how to take care of Joe Blow and Sammy Chung. They have a special non-championship race at the private thermal club in Southern California on March 24th, a million dollar to the race winner 
which I believe will be split between the race winner and members of the club or certain members of the club. So people who have millions already sure can use another half a million. Tickets are now available to the zestfully washed masses, only $2,000 per person. Now this is for a series, local series, whose rating is below Formula 1 in this country. Absolutely mind-blowing. Mr. Rogers, for this kind of money, you would, would you like to see Max Verstappen in a Formula 1 race on the Vegas trip? or enjoy the hunka hunka burning love in the palm desert of Southern California watching Milka Duno driving a decade old Indy car. What say you? Well, I like Milka Duno driving an old Indy car. I'd, I'd pay good money to watch that. Whatever. I mean, if these people, sometimes they just want to hang around with their own kind, you see? So everybody's a millionaire. The prize is a million dollars. Two thousand. What, what's two thousand dollars now, sir? It's chump change. That's a really good cocktail. Good idea. Okay, more Americana, courtesy of Liberty Media. Patrick Mahomes scores a touchdown in Formula One. Kansas City Chiefs quarterback Patrick Mahomes, tight end Travis Kelsey, and golfer Rory McIlroy are the new and additional high-profile athlete investors in Alpine Formula One team. Investment group Otro Capital are the friendly folks who are bringing these money men to motor racing. As President Calvin Coolidge once said, long before enjoying hot dogs with John Malone and Chase Carey, the business of America is business. Speaking of which, we have caution flag from the IRS. Former NASCAR Cup owner Ron Devine was indicted last week on four counts of failure to pay payroll taxes now, not paying payroll taxes, I understand, has never been an issue at F1 Weekly. Is that correct, sir? That is absolutely correct, sir. We stay on top of this stuff, including full benefits. Absolutely. Thank you so much. This is straight from the man at the U.S. Attorney's Office for the Western District of North Carolina. The 67-year-old Devine was the primary owner of BK Racing from 2012 to 2018. He filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy for the team just before the 2018 Daytona 500. The bank was coming after him to recover more than $8 million in outstanding loans. Devine allegedly failed to pay more than $390,000 in payroll taxes due to the IRS. And if you don't pay payroll taxes to the IRS, they will get really P.O. Now, you may remember, since you're a music man, Willie Nelson went through a similar experience and later released an album called The IRS Tapes to repay the Federales. The BK in the racing team's name came from Mr. Devine's owning Burger King outlets, quite a few. To repay the money to Federales, perhaps he should start selling IRS cheeseburgers with some relish. Mr. Rogers, they say road to hell is paved with good intentions. Would you walk a mile and spare a few dimes to help Mr. Devine and buy some of his IRS cheeseburgers with need of the hour Freedom Fries? Yes, I love Freedom Fries. Every time I go to Libya on vacation, that's my first order of the day. And really, you know, I buy one cheeseburger, but it's, I think it's a good idea. If he's got a couple of BKs running, hey, that's a great jingle. And BK does well. So I'm really surprised that he had such a problem paying those fees because, hey, you know what they say, BK. Yes. Next, McLaren's Buster Move. We all know Mr. Zach Brown likes to collect classic racing cars. Looks like his team likes to collect racing drivers, hoping they will drive for them one day. This time they have gone Ricky Nelson. Their latest signing is Sweet Senorita from Manila, Miss Bianca Bustamante. She will race again in F1 Academy Championship in 2024, this time in papaya colors. This season, she won two races and finished seventh in the championship. FIA Academy is the replacement series for Formula W, which went kaput after three seasons. Same driver won the championship each season, Jamie Chadwick. And speaking of Jamie, she will race again in Indy next in 2024 
with the Andretti Global. And her car was there at the Indy test. It's in the same colors, the DHL colors. But since DHL has departed, they have removed the name DHL, but it's still bright yellow and red. So we will see how it goes. Next, Fly Robin Fly. The second coming of Raikkonen is on the track to success. Kimi has two daughters and a son named Robin. He is currently in karting. According to Italian publication La Gazzetta dello Sport, Kimi and family have moved to Como in Italy from his palatial residence in Switzerland. And as we all know, Italy is global HQ for karting. Robin will race with CRG team, same team that ran Lewis, Ros Nico Rosberg, Polish Prince Kubica, and the Montreal Monster Lance Troll. With that, we come to Musical Mondial. Today we have a blast from the past. Thank you for listening, and please enjoy some fine music from German group Silver Convention. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye. Thank you, everybody. Good night.